Please be seated. Good evening to you. Ezekiel chapter 11 tonight, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight without a Bible, you'll need a Bible. So just wave to these guys coming up the aisles right now. And they'll put a Bible into your hand and that way you can hear the Word of God and uh, you can read it with your own eyes and it can have a multiplied uh, effect upon you. Remember from last time, as we were together last week, that chapters 8 through 11, they record uh, God, His description of the effect of the sin and the wickedness in the city of Jerusalem and in Judea, the effect that it had upon Him, not just upon the people. And that in His words there in chapter 8, verse 6, that the sin and, and the wickedness of, of God's people were causing Him to go far away from my sanctuary. And that is a record of God being driven out of not only the Holy of Holies, not only out of the temple, not only out of the uh, area of the temple, but out of Jerusalem altogether. And we've seen that He's been driven from the area of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies to the threshold of the temple, and then from the threshold of the temple, the doorway of the temple, to the east gate, and that is the gate that faces toward the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, it was a picture spot that you looked over uh, toward the area of the Temple Mount from uh, the Mount of Olives, and there is that double-arched gate that is all blocked off now. And that was the East Gate. And as we're picking things up in chapter 11, uh, the, the series of, of steps in God's departure, there's a, a hesitancy on His part. There's a, uh, a, a, the brokenheartedness of, of Him being driven out in the way that He's being driven out. Really the shamefulness uh, of it. When, when you consider, as we looked at the idols that uh, they were worshiping, the, the various gods that they were worshiping, and here is God being driven out of uh, the temple, out of Jerusalem uh, for these things. Imagine the shame to God that these things could not only compete with Him in the hearts of His people, but win in their hearts. I mean, really, it's, it's one of the saddest scenes, really, in Jewish history. And the Jews know it, this whole progression that happens here. And, uh, and really heartbreaking. And so here he is at the area of that uh, east gate, and ultimately he will uh, take the, uh, his full and favorable presence out of, of Jerusalem at the end of chapter 11 as he, as he uh, uh, departs uh, over uh, uh, to the, the Mount of Olives and beyond. In chapter 11, and when the Spirit, uh, then the Spirit lifted me up, and he brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faces eastward. And so he re receives another vision here, now at that location. And there at the door of the gate were 25 men. Among them I saw uh, Jaazaniah, uh, the son of Azur, and Pethaliah, uh, the son of Benaiah, uh, princes of the people. We know nothing about them biblically beyond their names listed here. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city, who say the time is not near to build houses. Uh, it, it, this city is the cauldron and we are the meat. 
So here you have false prophets speaking for, uh, pretending to speak for God in the city of Jerusalem while they're being uh, under siege by the Babylonians facing the judgment that their sin uh, deserved. You remember as we went through the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah sent mess, uh, messages to the uh, Jewish captives that were already uh, where uh, Ezekiel was, the Jewish captives in Babylon, in Tel Abib, and, and a message from God telling them, listen, uh, you're not coming back to Jerusalem anytime soon. And so settle down into Babylon. This judgment is going to be a lengthy one. You'll be there for 70 years. And so multiply, have children, buy houses, raise crops. This isn't going to turn around in any short period of time. And the false prophets were then sending messages to the Jews in Babylon, uh, telling them uh, the opposite of it. It's not a time to build houses and to plant crops and settle in. Uh, we're going to break the back of, of Babylon, and you're going to come back to us soon. And so they were defying uh, the clear revelation of God in God's Word through, uh, through Ezekiel or through Jeremiah. They also, uh, the, the imagery they were given to the people was, uh, we are in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem possesses, it's, it's the city of God. It, 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 it has the temple there. And so we are like a cauldron, like a great uh, pot. And we're like the meat in the pot. In other words, uh, nobody can ever penetrate uh, Jerusalem. Nobody can ever defeat us. We're as safe as, as meat inside of 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 a pot. And, and these, these were the, the, the contradictory messages that, that they were uh, uh, communicating in their, in their false uh, prophecies. We're protected. Uh, don't listen to Jeremiah or Ezekiel. This thing is going to turn out okay. And the Lord said, therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. And then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, speak. Thus says the Lord, Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. God knew what they were thinking before they even thought their uh, thoughts. It puts us at a tremendous uh, disadvantage in, in fighting against God. And so God says, I know all this that's going on in your mind. You keep it secret among a select few of yourself and, and your plans and all, but it's all uh, clear uh, to me. And you have multiplied your slain in this city. You have filled its streets with the slain. And therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain whom you have laid in your midst, they are the meat, and this city is the cauldron. But I will bring you out uh, of the midst of it. And so uh, the Lord uh, prophesies uh, against them here, and he uses this imagery and, uh, and, and he flips the imagery of the cauldron and the meat. Before he gets to that, when he talks about the slain being multiplied within the city, remember again when, uh, the same timetable. Uh, Ezekiel is ministering in, in Babylon, the area of Babylon, and Jeremiah is, is ministering at the same time in Jerusalem. And uh, the righteous are being killed. I mean, Jewish people who love God, people like you and me, are being killed for that reason. Not by the Philistines, not by the Edomites, not by the Ammonites, but by Jewish people. 
Uh, this is how upside down everything has become. Remember how repeatedly Jeremiah's life was put in jeopardy at the hands of his own family, at the hands of, of the rulers of the city, and God preserved his life miraculously time after time. But it was, a, it was dangerous to be righteous. Imagine this. Dangerous to be righteous and to love God and to walk with God in Jerusalem. That's how awful things had become. And so God takes this imagery of, uh, of the pot and, and of, of the meat, and he gives a different interpretation to it altogether. And, and he said the city of Jerusalem is, is the cauldron, and the slain people within her are, are the meat. And this is talking about the destruction that Babylon would bring upon Jerusalem. Uh, that not only would Jerusalem not protect, uh, be a protection from uh, the, the Babylonians coming in and destroying uh, the city, but he's talking about a great fire being applied to the, the pot, uh, and he uses their own imagery, and, and that, 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 that great fire consuming everything uh, inside. And then he gives uh, the reason for, uh, uh, and then he said, excuse me, again in verse uh, 8, you have feared the sword, and I will bring the sword upon you, says the Lord, and I will bring you out of its midst, and I will deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. And you shall fall by the sword, I will judge you at the border of Israel, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. He is still, in, in all of this, he is still trying to get through to them. He, he, he is giving, he, he did not need to tell them what was coming. He could have just let it happen without any warning by Ezekiel or Jeremiah. But he lets them know. He knows they will not listen to him prior to the judgment. But, but he's going to take, this is the love of God. He's going to take what he can get here, and that is when it happens then, now finally, maybe you will realize that I alone uh, am, am the Lord. And uh, we know that, again, as we studied Jeremiah, that when the city was taken, the captives were taken out of the city. Those that survived uh, the battle, they were taken to uh, cities that were uh, further, uh, further uh, uh, some distance away from staging areas that Nebuchadnezzar had set up in order to process all of the captives uh, to then uh, send them in an orderly kind of fashion back to uh, Babylon. And that's what God is talking about here. I'll judge you, verse uh, 10, uh, at the, the, the survivors uh, of the sword. I'll judge you at the border of Israel, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. They'll know that what God was saying was the truth, and what the false prophets were saying was false. And this city shall not be uh, your cauldron, it won't be a protection to you, and nor shall you be the meat in the midst in terms of safety. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord for, and here's the reason for the judgment, he keeps it in front of them, he keeps it in, in front of them, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgment, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all uh, around you. And so he uh, 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 keeps the reason in front of them, so there are no doubt as to why the judgment was, was happening. And then in, in verse 13, uh, now it happened while I was prophesying, uh, that uh, Pethaliah, as he's seeing this vision and he's prophesying in the midst of it, I'm sorry, uh, Pelethiah, 
uh, the son of Benaiah, he died. He falls down dead as Jeremiah sees him uh, in terms of the vision of the scene. And then Jeremiah, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel's reaction is he fell down on his face. He cried out with a loud voice and he said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? So he sees God's judgment even moving in uh, among this 25 and, and, and smiting one. And, and Ezekiel might have thought he was going to wipe out the whole twenty-five. Uh, uh, this, this death of uh, Pelathiah, it, it occurred as a part of the vision here. And almost certainly at the time that God was giving this vision to Ezekiel, that in Jerusalem, uh, Pelathiah dropped dead in that, that very scene that God was uh, uh, showing uh, 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 to him as he's receiving that vision. And as Ezekiel then would uh, very shortly uh, deliver all of these prophecies and these visions to that Jewish audience in uh, Babylon uh, that, he, that, had come, you know, that had come to hear from him and, and a word from God about the future of, of Jerusalem. And, uh, and so as, as that report, would, he would give them the vision, speak to them of Pelathiah here, and then later, some weeks or months later, uh, the message would come in from Jerusalem uh, that Pelathiah died. He dropped dead right in the middle of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, one of the 25 dropped dead, seemed to be smitten by God. And that would then impact that Jewish audience in Babylon. They would realize ah, that God is really speaking through uh, Ezekiel here. Uh, to us and a, a powerful uh, confirmation to them of, of the authenticity of, of Ezekiel's uh, visions. And then God gives them a word of hope in the midst of all of this. God never quite lets hope die, even in situations as dire as this. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all of the house of Israel in its entirety are those uh, uh, those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, uh, get far away from the Lord. The Lord has given uh, to us, uh, given uh, to us as a possession. This land the Lord has given to us as a possession. Now this is, would have really been awful for the, the Jews in Babylon to have heard. What was happening now was the Jews who remained in Jerusalem. They were convincing themselves, evidently with the help of the prophets, they were convincing themselves because, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem twice before. It wasn't like this was unprecedented. And, uh, and so what had to be kind of uh, ping-ponging around in their mind was, if Nebuchadnezzar had done it twice before, uh, why would we be confident in the light of God's warnings that he won't do it a third time? And here's how they consoled themselves. Here's how they rationalized it. They rationalized it as, yes, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Bab uh, Jerusalem twice before in order to remove the captives that he removed because they were the problem. They were the great sinners. Uh, they were the, the, the thing that had displeased the heart of God. And, and that the fact that uh, those people were bad in God's eyes and that the people that remained in Jerusalem were okay in God's eyes, uh, uh, they, they interpreted that by virtue of the fact that they remained in the city. And that's how they worked that thing out, out in, in their mind. 
Now imagine uh, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Ezekiel here. I'll get it. To, uh, it's one of the two of them. Uh, but it is Ezekiel. But Ezekiel here, as he speaks this to the audience in Babylon, Jews, and, uh, and this is how they're explaining you going into captivity. It happened because you're more unspiritual and ungodly than the rest of them. They remain because they are more uh, spiritual. And, uh, and, and you have to, I mean, realize that in those first two captivities that occurred, uh, Daniel was taken. The three Hebrew servants uh, were taken. Ezekiel was taken. Many others were, uh, were, were taken in, in, uh, in, those, in that, that captivity. And now they hear, this is how, what's being said behind your back and how your brethren view you uh, in captivity. Remember, they had a soft heart uh, toward their brethren in Jerusalem, this would have been disheartening to find out that this wasn't uh, reciprocal at all. And therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, speaking of the Jews that went into captivity in the first two capti- uh, uh, captivities, though I, I've ca- uh, cast them uh, far off among the Gentiles, and though I've scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. And so God corrects it, and God lets them know that no, 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 those are not the unspiritual people. Those are the spiritual people. Uh, you people that have st- are still in, in uh, Jerusalem, uh, you're nothing like the captives that were taken away. You've got the thing completely flipped upside down. And God makes a promise that, to these Jews that are being slandered by their fellow Jews here and uh, disrespected in this way. And, and God declares that, yes, they, you're still in Jerusalem, you're still in Judah, but I'm being driven out of, out of uh, Jerusalem at this very moment. Uh, and I will become a sanctuary to the Jews in these foreign lands. I will meet with them. I will continue the relationship with them. Uh, I will be them with them. I will make uh, them understand that my presence is, is with them. The relationship will continue. Uh, far better to have that uh, going on, that dynamic. I mean, what good is a temple without that happening? And so God is saying, listen, the Jews that are in these foreign countries that are you're looking down on, all that matters is who has my favor, who's experiencing my presence, uh, who's continuing a relationship with me. I will do that among these people that you despise, and, and it will not be the portion of those that are, are there uh, in, uh, in the city of, uh, of Jerusalem. And so... Uh, therefore say to them, verse 17, therefore say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Not speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem. They're going to get hammered. He's talking to the Jews that have been taken in the first two captivities and have been in captivity, not only in Babylon, but in other countries as well. And he promises, no, you're the group I'm going to bring back in as a remnant, back into the land. You're going to come back into Jerusalem. It will be yours uh, again one day. It won't be the Jews in Jerusalem that are going to have uh, that pleasure, that privilege. It's going to be you. 
And they will go from there, speaking of the, those that were uh, captive in Babylon, and they will take away uh, all of its, when they come to Jerusalem, all of its detestable things and all of its abominations from there. One thing about the Babylonian captivity that it did for the Jews, the Jews are engaged in idolatry. It's an affront to God. And so God, in essence, says to the Jews, you like idols? I'll give you idols. I will send you to the land of idols until you have more idols than you can ever worship. You'll have idols coming out of your nose. And see if now you aren't able to worship these idols from a distance, but worship them in the context of the culture and the society and the type of human being that it produces. And then you tell me if you want to continue to worship those idols. And it was a cure for it. And the Jewish people from that day on to this day, they have many faults like all people do, but they are not idolaters in the way that they were before, exactly as God said would be the case. And then I will give them uh, one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart, a, a heart of flesh uh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those uh, whose hearts follow uh, the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, uh, says uh, the Lord. And so when the Jewish people did, uh, uh, from their captivity, did come back into the land, what is described in terms of the work of God in verses 19, in 20 that occurred in, in a, um, uh, in, in, uh, to a certain degree. But the ultimate fulfillment of a new heart and a new spirit and all of these things will occur in the kingdom age following Jesus' second coming uh, when they recognize Him to be their Messiah. But it happened in part when they returned to the land as God promised. And then here, uh, again, you have to almost, you, you, as a Gentile, you must become a Jew uh, for the, these verses. To, to, and, and if you've traveled with us from Genesis all the way to this point, I mean, you have a sense of, uh, of the, the utter catastrophe uh, in, in, in the whole Old Testament almost here as is, is, is described here. And so the cherubim, again the vision of the cherubim lifting uh, the, the presence of God uh, and the glory of God is from chapter 1. So the cherubim lifted up their wings and with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them and the glory of the Lord went from the midst of the city and, uh, and here is the glory of God, the, the, the favorable, uh, priceless presence and favor uh, of, uh, of God. Uh, it went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, uh, which is the Mount of Olives, as the, the Spirit is, is God is forced to depart uh, in this awful way. And again, a terrible, uh, terrible thing that was going to result in the people as a result of it. But again, what an affront to do this to God, to drive Him out. Especially when you read the Law of Moses, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and how God said, if you'll just obey me, I'll bless you. If you do this, here's the blessing. If you do, the, uh, here's the blessing. Blessing, 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 blessing. And He was faithful to it. 
And that's all he wanted to do. It's all he wanted to be. And, and he's driven away in, in that way. One of the worst things you can ever do to a father uh, is to conduct ourselves in such a way that they're not able to express their father's heart toward us in terms of blessing. And, and you multiply that times whatever you want in terms of the heart of God and, and, and how uh, this thing would be not only an affront but a great pain to him. And then the Spirit took me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, back to Babylon, uh, to those in captivity. Remember this audience is sitting before him, wanting a vision, some word from God related to the future of, of uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, and the vision that I had seen went up from me. And so I spoke to those in captivity of all the things that the Lord had shown me. And so he delivers this entire message to them. And uh, in any, uh, anyone with a, a tender heart at all would have got the message, and that is there's no, there's no hope uh, for Jerusalem uh, on the short term. And so don't believe these false prophets telling you that you're going to get out of Babylon anytime uh, soon. And that's, that's the message that God wanted them to have, to have them see what He saw so clearly, uh, the, the, the terrible spiritual and moral condition uh, of the city. And again, with a spiritual bone in your body, you would realize, okay, that place is doomed. They're going to be judged by God. They deserve to be judged by God as God had prophesied that He would do. In, in, uh, in uh, chapter 12 uh, now, uh, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. Uh, they have eyes, physical eyes to see, uh, but they, they don't see, and uh, no capacity for spiritual sight. Uh, ears they have, uh, ears to hear, uh, but uh, does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. You remember Jesus when he writes the seven letters to the seven churches, it dictates them uh, in, in the revelation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. We all have ears, but not everyone has an ear to hear. Uh, not everyone is interested in listening unconditionally to what God has to say. It is a privilege to hear God. It is the privilege to hear Him in His encouragements and in His promises and the reassurances of His love and of His grace. And it is just uh, as wonderful to receive His warnings and His exhortations in our life when He sees that that's the great need within, uh, within our lives. And so uh, they, they, had, they still did not have, uh, they still did not have uh, eyes that were willing to see what God was wanting them to see spiritually or ears to hear what God was wanting uh, to, to uh, speak uh, to them. And so he declares them uh, to, that they continue to be a rebellious house. Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel comes and he delivers all of this message to them. And yet they still are hard-hearted toward the message of uh, Ezekiel. Now you've got you to uh, give God credit. I always give him credit. But you can't say that he didn't forewarn, right? Ezekiel, that he was heading into pretty tough ministry. He said, they're going to have a hardest head you've ever run into, but I've given you a harder head. As hard-headed as they are for wickedness and their own self-will and their own rebellion, I'm going to give you a harder head for righteousness and for love and truth and a zeal for me and to speak righteousness. And so we see this very thing uh, before us. 
And because of their, their the fact that they're a rebellious house, a stubborn people, uh, there in the first word of verse 3, therefore. Uh, and uh, they, they weren't listening to words, and so God was continually using kind of dramatizations to try and get their attention and, and then deliver a spiritual message to them. And so he continues that now in chapter 12. He said, therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. And you shall go from your place into, cap- into captivity to another place in their sight. And it may be that they will uh, consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight uh, as though you are going into captivity. And then at evening you shall go in their sight uh, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry out your belongings uh, through it. And in their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders, carry them out at twilight, and you shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of, of Israel. And so his instructions were, again, a dramatization of what was going to happen uh, to the population in Jerusalem. So, uh, and this would have been completely familiar to the audience in Babylon because every one of them had done exactly this when they had been taken captive by the Babylonians in the previous two captivities. And so, uh, uh, Ezekiel is told to uh, put together uh, what was considered or called an exile bag. It was like a bag that you would put together uh, for if your city was in danger, and what are the few things that you can stuff in a bag and you can carry for a long distance and run for your life with. And so, of course, uh, you'd take all your video games, and uh, your television set and, and all. No, that's not what you would take. You'd take a little bit of food to get you through a couple of days. Uh, you'd take something for warmth. You'd take a mat to lay on. And these were the kind of things that they would stuff into a bag. And they would have that bag ready to grab in case the walls were breached and they had to run for their life. And so all the way over here in Babylon, God tells Ezekiel, put that bag together and put it outside of your house the same way that show them that you have prepared it. Normally they would have prepared it and kept it in their house. And then what I want you to do is put it out during the day, put that bag out there. They'll recognize what it is. They've already done this drill twice. And, and, and then when nighttime comes, begin to chisel your way through the wall in your house and come out through that opening in, in your house and grab your bag and begin to go. And, and it's a sign to them of what is going to happen to the population in, in Jerusalem when, when Babylon uh, comes to, to, uh, to take them. And so here is, again, God, he, he, he calls them a rebellious house. He calls them stubborn, but He's still trying to get through to them in some way. And so He does this, commands Ezekiel in this way. And so in verse 7, so I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as going through 
going, as though going into captivity. And at evening I dug through the wall with my hand, and I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder uh, in their sight. And so he, takes, he does the whole thing. They're all watching it because this is very bizarre behavior, but they've come to expect it of Ezekiel. Uh, and, uh, and they know there's a message associated with it. And so he obeys uh, what, what God had called him to do. And in the morning, uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? In other words, this skit that he kind of performs, it accomplishes exactly what God wanted to have accomplished. They said, what in the world are you doing, Ezekiel? And that's known as an open door uh, for delivering uh, the message. It's kind of like, uh, what must I do to be saved? I mean, if you don't witness to a person that asks you that question, you don't know what an open door is. And uh, so this is a wide open door. And he says, now say to them, thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem, that is the king of Jerusalem at this time, King Zedekiah, and then all of uh, the house of Israel uh, 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 who are uh, uh, with them. So all of his kind of cabinet and, and the city in general. And he said, say, to, say, I am a sign for you. What I've done is a sign to you. As I have done, so it shall be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince, speaking of King Zedekiah, who is among them, the final king that, uh, that uh, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians under, and the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings. Even the king is going to do this. He's going to carry his exile bag on his shoulder at twilight. He's going to try to escape in the evening. And they shall dig through the wall to carry them out. He shall cover his face so he cannot see the ground with his eyes. And so he, he's, he's very much doing a, a dramatization of, of King Zedekiah. Got the hood over his, uh, his face so he wouldn't be recognized as the king. And he's making a run for his life. And God said concerning the king and the population in general, I will also spread my net over him, I'll capture him, and he shall be caught by my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, and we know again uh, from the historical books and also from Jeremiah that he was taken captive in his attempt to flee and, uh, and, and uh, brought to, uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar at the staging area. And, and uh, God says, I will bring him to Babylon. He will ultimately end up a captive in Babylon, and he did, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it. That is, he shall not see Babylon, uh, though he will die there. It's kind of a weird thing. So the king, here's a prophecy. It's just you go, okay, all right, Ezekiel, I think you got things mixed up here a little bit. You tell us the king is going to be captured by the Babylonians. He's going to be taken to Babylon as a captive where he will spend the rest of his life, but he won't see Babylon. I mean, don't you see a problem here with this? Except when Zedekiah was taken captive by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were not to be messed with. I mean, we read about the Babylonians in the Bible, and we read about the Assyrians, and, and we think, well, the Babylonians were at least slightly better the, than the Assyrians. The Assyrians, when they, would, when they were forced to conquer a city, 
uh, they would conquer the city, and then they would behead everyone and put great pyramid piles of heads at the gate of the city in order to terrify the cities they were going to next. And they would skin people alive and take that skin and line the gates of the city with the skin. Uh, these were, these were, this was a tough neighborhood to be living in. The same as Israel is a tough neighborhood uh, to this day. And their only protection really was to walk with God. But they're going to do this thing on their own. And so he gets taken to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, along with his entire cabinet, along with his sons. And Nebuchadnezzar commands that, the, that his sons be put to death before his very eyes. And then an instant later has his eyes gouged out of his head. So that the final thing he ever saw with his eyes was the death of his sons. And just as God had said would be the case, he would go to Babylon, he would die in Babylon, but he would never see Babylon. I mean the precision of the prophecies of, of, of God. And I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him. All of his troops, they'll all fail in, in that uh, final hour of testing. And I will draw out the sword after them, even as they flee the city. And then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and uh, disperse them throughout the countries. Now, the prophecy that comes uh, to pass is not the prophecies of the false prophets, but of God. And the Lord says, but I will spare a few of, uh, of their men from the sword, from the famine, from the disease, that they then may uh, declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord said, uh, nobody deserves to be spared, but I will spare some of them so that those that are taken captive into Babylon, those that are taken captive uh, by other nations into other parts of the world, that when they go into those parts of the world, that they will be a messenger and they will carry the message that we went into captivity, we were destroyed, uh, we were driven out of the city, not because of some failure on the part of God and His promises to us, but because of our own abominations and our own sins, uh, that caused God to judge us in this way. And they will then declare, this is, but God bears no responsibility for what has happened to us. We bear full responsibility for it. And then they will know that I am uh, the Lord. And then in uh, verse 17, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me uh, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink uh, your water with trembling and uh, anxiety. Again, it's going to rep it represents how people were eating and drinking in the city of Jerusalem in, in the final stages of the conquest of the city. So imagine, here is uh, uh, Ezekiel, and he's, he's in front of these Jewish captives in Babylon, and he's trying to drink his water, and it's like this is sloshing all over, and he's trying to get it to his face. It's going to get people's attention, right? What's he doing now? And he's trying to eat his bread, and he's shaking so bad out of fear that he, he can hardly get the bread to his mouth. And, 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 and again, it's going to get the people's attention. And, and I don't know, and he's talking about the fear that they were experiencing, going to experience in Babylon. I, I've experienced fear in my life, um, uh, but I've never experienced a fear. Uh, that made it hard for me to get a glass to my mouth 
or to, uh, to eat a donut or whatever else I might want to be eating. I mean, you put, this, is, this is fear that's off the graph. This is fear that is, is in every single one of us. If we find ourselves in the circumstances that will provoke this kind of a physical reaction to the fear. And, and, and so this is what he does before them. And then when it gets their attention, and God knew that it would, again, he's still trying to get through to them, and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it. And then here it is, because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste, and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so when he talks about because of the violence uh, in Jerusalem at that time, as I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah's life was under constant threat. He was constantly imprisoned, and, uh, and the righteous were being slaughtered and killed within, within the city. This is, again, how upside down things had become. And, uh, and, and it was like, God, uh, you um, put yourself in some ancient... Uh, situation or medieval situation prison or whatever it might be and you are being framed you're being unjustly charged and uh, the sentence for it uh, is death and as you're being held in that place and you know all of this uh, about you and then here they come uh, to release you from your chains. How many Christians, you know, experience it in, in being burnt at the stake and all. But I mean, here you are in this place and, and you're being uh, grabbed now uh, to be tortured to death or to be put to death in the various means that they put people to death. And imagine the, the, the fear that would grip you, the horror that would grip you over uh, the death that you knew that was now just minutes or hours or seconds away. And, and God says uh, to the city of Jerusalem, uh, that's what you provoked in others. That's what you produced in the righteous. And I'm going to make sure that you know what that feels like uh, yourself, but out of a righteous judgment. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have um, uh, 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 about the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision uh, fails. And so the, the idea behind that proverb, apparently a famous proverb being used at that time, and that is in the face of the judgment, in the face of how dire the circumstances are, they were telling themselves, listen, everything is going to go on exactly as it always has. Uh, uh, you know, God has been prophesying uh, judgment and doom and gloom against the city for four decades through uh, Jeremiah and through others, and that judgment has never taken place. And so we don't have to heed these warnings at all. There's no need to take them seriously at all. God just does a lot of talking in this kind of way, but He, he never uh, falls, uh, follows through. And the Lord says, tell them this about this proverb. Thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest 
And, and how would he lay it to rest? By bringing the judgment he promised. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment uh, of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will, be, uh, it will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, uh, says the Lord God. It's interesting, I mean, our minds can't help but go to Second uh, Peter chapter 3, where uh, Peter warns that ev even in this new covenant, this new age uh, uh, that we're in uh, as Christians, that the prophecies that are given related to Revelation, Jesus' Olivet Discourse, talking about the end of the world and, and, uh, and how there's going to be the rapture of the church and then the uh, seven-year tribulation period and then a kingdom age and then all of that will give way to a new heaven and a new earth. And, and because God doesn't do it immediately, uh, Peter warns about people becoming scoffers related to the idea that any of this is going to happen and, uh, and that, that it will indeed happen, and not to be disheartened by the scoffers. Do you know why the Lord hasn't set in motion that entire prophetic scene of, of the end of the age beginning with the rapture of the church? It's because He's giving room to repent. He's giving space to repent, just like He did with Jerusalem, that would, so people would turn. But, but all of it is going to be fulfilled. The fact that it hasn't happened yet is, is no indication that it's not going to happen. It's only not happened because God still wants to give people a chance to turn uh, to Him and to faith in, in His Son uh, for salvation. And, and so everything that you and I, uh, everything that you and I read uh, prophetically in the New Testament, and even what is yet to come to pass that's spoken of in, in uh, the Old Testament, we'll get to chapters a little bit later in, in the book of Ezekiel here that have a future fulfillment. And every single thing, the book of Revelation, all of it is going to happen as surely as the fall of Babylon occurred, uh, as described and prophesied of by Jeremiah and, and by Ezekiel. The book of Revelation is, uh, it is, it, it is, it is history in advance. It is so sure as, as if it is already uh, done. But it's a funny thing, at the end of the age, where even among God's people, here judgment is so close for them, and they don't want this uh, party to end uh, of, of their idolatry and their wickedness. And, and they don't want the Lord to return. And so they kind of accommodate all of it and explain it away that there's no real urgency because God's been talking like this forever and, and He never does it. But then one day He does it. And then the day He does it, uh, there's a big problem with being on the wrong side uh, of him. And so this was one of the sayings and uh, the justifications that they, were, uh, that, that they were, you know, giving for continuing in their sin. And don't, don't worry about these prophecies of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. 
And again, the word of the Lord uh, came uh, to me saying, Son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying, and here's a second saying that was popular at the time, uh, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times uh, afar off. In other words, uh, here's a different kind of angle on things that, that uh, yes, in terms of Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel, Ezekiel specifically here, yes, judgment is coming. We don't deny that it's, it's coming, but it's not going to be for a very, very long time. It, it's certainly not going to happen in our lifetimes. It will happen. What they're saying is the truth, uh, but, but we don't have to be uh, concerned about it. So here's the person that doesn't... Uh, uh, you know, outrightly reject the prophecies of God. They just minimize them as something that can't, uh, can't uh, happen uh, today, uh, that, that they don't have anything to do with, with today. And of course, Jesus, he warned against that kind of uh, attitude toward his, uh, his prophecies, and especially in the end of the age, he said in, 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 the, in his prophetic passage in Matthew chapter 24. He said, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying uh, his coming, uh, and he begins to beat his fellow servants, which is uh, the only reason why you would say the master's delaying his coming. I mean, do any of you as a Christian who's filled with the Spirit and walking with God, uh, do any of you... Uh, are you excited about the idea that the master delays his coming? No, the spirit and the bride say, Lord, come quickly, Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. And, and that's what the, the spirit that God has uh, put, uh, put within us. But here's a different kind of a, of a spirit. And uh, the Lord's delaying his coming. We don't have to turn away from the beating of our fellow servants and eating and drinking with the drunkards. And the master of that servant, Jesus said, will come in a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be uh, weeping and gnashing uh, of teeth. The crazy thing about believing either of these two proverbs that no, God isn't going to do it. He just says this stuff, but he never does it. Or yeah, he's going to do it, but he's not going to do it in our lifetimes. Is that Babylon had already conquered Jerusalem twice in the face of the false prophets and for the same reasons, the same sins that they were engaged in. And that having happened twice, who in their right mind would bet that God isn't going to keep His Word the third time that He says it? It's just insanity. What we can convince ourselves of if we get away from the Bible and the mirror of the Word and, and the clarity with which it, it, it declares things, and yet this was the kind of deception they were trying uh, to hide behind. And therefore, finally, verse 28, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, uh, says the Lord uh, God. And, uh, and so he said, judgment is here. I will, I will, in the fulfillment of my prophecies, I will silence all of these um, excuses. And so we'll stop there tonight and uh, we'll pick things up, but, uh, Lord willing, next week in chapter 13. It's a, and I ask the worship team to come up and I want us to worship a little bit before we close here tonight. Um,